All right, everybody, we are getting ready. I'm Ginger Schlanger, and I wanted to say welcome. I'm DScoop's Manager of Learning and Education, and welcome to Harnessing Your Herd in Times of Uncertainty, led by Dave Quick, who is a three-time CEO. He's a global speaker, and he has been helping teams for decades understand their roles, their teamwork, as well as asking some of the questions you want to know about right now. Dave, welcome and thank you for leading us today. Great. Um, really happy to be here, Ginger. Thanks. Uh, just a few notes that uh, the team at DScoop added. Uh, should all be on mute as we start. Uh, if you have questions throughout, please post them in the Q&A window. Happy to help uh, answer those as we'll go through. They'll give me uh, a heads up when there's any questions. Uh, we are recording. It'll be available on DScoop when we're done. If you have any additional questions after, there's some contact information for DScoop, and I'll put some more of that at the end of the talk. Um, High-level perspective, uh, what we're going to talk about today is harnessing the power of your herd in uncertain times. So typically, I talk about this harnessing the power of your herd as how do you fuel this magnet that brings the right bulls toward you and pushes the wrong ones away. And I'll talk more about this bull persona and that this magnet creates the impetus for a more powerful organization moving forward, a better culture, a better team environment, anything you can think of regarding to the power of the herd, protection of the herd. There's more strength collectively than we would have individually. When we think about uncertain times, it's interesting right now that um, I did a poll recently, I think it was in the last two weeks, uh, and asked, I think almost 100 business owners responded, which is what's happened to their engagement of their team in the last 30 days. And what's interesting is that we see that some, they, they actually have uh, improved their um, engagement in the last 30 days, 35%. Roughly half, 44% stayed the same, and 22.5% declined. What's interesting is this looks kind of like a bell curve. Before all of this uncertainty, I was telling business owners they wanted to stay right on the bell curve, be some of the best companies, have the best culture. Uncertainty brings change, and we see people that have an engagement that's declining over the last 30 days, and then we have organizations that are improving. When we went out and asked then, well, what are some of the challenges with your engagement in the last 30 days, and what are you doing about it, we got a little different story, which is interesting. Um, most of what's missing from engagement today is not how do we have meetings, we're doing that, this mechanism, Zoom and others, where we're improving, but we're missing the informal, impromptu conversations in the hallway, the water cooler chats, the connect with each other. And so as you think about this moving forward with your team, it's important to go, high social people need social energy, and you may want to set time aside just for that engagement. And then on the flip side, we said, well, what was the most impactful? And we have a bunch of answers. If you want access to this whole survey, I'm happy to give it to you. But from a what was happening, this was one of my favorite answers. It was acknowledging the creative person of the day. And when they came in, it said, hey, we were looking at our meetings and we had a sales manager who was a hoodie, a ball cap, unshaven, empty plates and coffee cups. And when this came across my desk in the survey, I looked and I had plates over here and three coffee cups over here. And I was like, that's me. And it said the team posted pics of him as the homebound bum. And he reacted by having FaceTime calls the next day wearing a tuxedo, which is just awesome. It shows this human spirit and it shows how we can react during these times and do what I call as remarkable, powerful, passionate engagement, which we'll hear, we'll hear a lot more as we move through. So today we're going to talk about harnessing the power of your herd. Many of you will see that as culture and many will go, well, does this culture soft stuff matter? And this is a, a great slide that looks at what we call classic capitalism companies, which were featured in Good to Great. And those are in this yellow. And then a book published about 12 years ago, I think, Firms of Endearment. And Firms of Endearment talked about companies that embrace culture, that look at the stuff that I'm going to talk about today. And we see over time, this purple graph has grown exponentially compared to the Good to Great companies. And, you know, Jim Collins, right people on the bus, in the right seats, all of that was a Bible. But many of those companies didn't focus on people. And today I'm going to talk about 
harnessing the power of your herd is about understanding and getting the most from every single bull. And that what's really interesting about this data is that, yeah, hey, this stuff matters. But if we look at the last downturn, the last period of uncertainty that many of us lived through, we see that the firms of endearment companies pre that downturn were outperforming the classic capitalism companies. Post downturn, they actually were performing worse. And what's interesting is if you look back at those companies and see why they were performing at a more negative level was they cared more about their people. They resisted the urge to let people go. They kept them engaged. So things like PPP right now, idle loan, I'm urging employers and leaders to go, how do I keep my team engaged? Because what happened the following year, bounce back, the firm to endearment companies, those were more focused on culture, had a quicker rebound. So we're all facing that uncertainty right now, which is how do we open back up? What does opening back up look like? And what we're going to find is we're going to be a lot better off by focusing on this stuff. So um, what we're going to talk about today is this bull's lens, your story and your herd. That the power of harnessing your herd comes from these three things. And the first is, I talk about myself as a recovering bull in the China shop. That's my story. I talk about it that I'm now helping bulls thrive in China shops, and that I do that around certain core values, approaches, and we'll talk more about that here in a minute. But this bull's lens is a way to look at the world. And what you're going to find for me is that everything's divided in thirds. And we'll look at that more specifically that we fuel a magnet based on that lens around our story and that we have this herd of bulls that are present and with us. So before we kick into this, I'm going to tell a quick little story. And that quick little story is one of uncertainty. And it's, uh, it's the story of the whale ship Essex. And the whale ship Essex was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in 1820. Uh, this story inspired Herman Melville to write Moby Dick. And this whale ship was hit by a sperm whale, crew of 20, and Captain Pollard all needed to exit the ship and get in their lifeboats or their whale boats uh, that they would hunt whale in, but they're much smaller, less equipped boats. So their ship was sinking. They've gotten off into small boats. It feels kind of like what we're facing right now, a lot of uncertainty. They sat there and they gathered all the food they could, watched the ship sink, and now they were left with, well, where do we go? They were a couple hundred miles from the Marquesas Islands, which if you're unfamiliar, are, are French, what's now called French Polynesian, include islands uh, like Tahiti. So I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in Tahiti than Bloomington, Indiana today. But they were left with the choice of going a couple hundred miles west with favorable winds to the Marquesas Islands, or going about 2,000 miles east to South America. The crew looked at that and said, hmm, let's make this decision. And normally that would be an easy decision, but they were swayed by a piece of information that some of the crew shared, that they had heard there were cannibals on the Marquesas Islands. And that story of fear, uncertainty, made them actually ultimately decide that they were going to head east to South America. Unfavorable winds, much longer journey, likely they would not have enough food rations to get there. So if I've done your part of a, of, of a storyteller, you're going, well, what happened? And what's interesting in that story, what happened is um, four of the 20 lived. The other 16 died and many of the 16 and four survivors actually turned to cannibalism to survive. So I tell the story of uncertainty that often the fear of the uncertainty creates problems for us and says, how and where do I go? So I'm going to come back to our story in a bull's lens. And when we start to go through that bull's lens, you're going to see that um, we have the ability to, through this bull's lens, our story and your herd have a more powerful herd. And I remind business owners all the time, you have the herd you deserve. So that if I'm doing something awesome, I have an awesome herd. If I'm performing poorly, I have a poor herd. When I think about this, uh, sorry, bull's lens, we'll go to in a minute. Um, I'm going to have us all do a quick little warm up. It looks like we have a handful of more people on board. From a warm up perspective, I'm going to ask you just to 
come up with a couple words, and actually as many words as you can in the next minute or two. So I'm going to put something up on the screen. I'm going to ask you to come up with as many words as you can that meet the condition of what follows. And I joke here, how many words? As many words as you can. When I start and give you the next slide, you're going to write down as many words as you can that meet the condition of what comes up next. So here we go. There's the condition. And write down as many words as you can that meet the condition of three-letter body parts. So while you're writing away, most fifth graders, which I've done this exercise with, get about 25 words, no pressure. All right, so I'm gonna have you stop, and in the chat, I just want you to send, here's how many words I came up with that met the condition of three-letter body parts. Just chat and say, here's how many words I came up with. And then if I asked you on a scale of one to 10, one being really poor, 10 being I did awesome, what your score would be for your effort on coming up with those three-letter body parts. Now, I tainted your score a little by saying, fifth graders come up with 25 words, but what was your score one to 10? And so as I look at the chat real quickly, uh, oh, I can't see the chat in my mode. That's okay, let's see. We had one person had six words, one had nine, another person, let's see, that's what we have. We have a seven score, I guess that's the effort. Awesome, and yep. Five score on the effort. <laughs> All right, good, so um, very typical. I've done this hundreds of times with business owners and what we find for most people that complete this exercise is kind of seven to 10 words and a score of somewhere between six, nine, 10. And what I'm going to do now is help you remove constraint, that all of us come with baggage or constraint around what's happening in our current lives. And so from a high-level perspective, um, we look at this exercise and we typically come up with words like eye, arm, leg, um, sometimes lid, hip, uh, toe, and those are the very typical words. Fifth and sixth graders will write butt spelled incorrectly. They'll put bum, they'll put ass. And they will also put words for every body part that most of us won't mention and every slang term. That's one constraint removed that we can use slang and talk about body parts that most of us wouldn't. That would extend our list. The other is we place constraint that's not there. If I give you the word paw, P-A-W, most will go, ah, human body part. That wasn't in the condition, but we place it there. The other is if I give you words like foot, F-O-O-T, big conformist and those who play, place constraint will go, that's a four letter word. Nonconformist will look and say, oh, there's only three letters, F-O-N-T. And there's a bunch of words like that, knee, teeth, tooth, the list goes on and on. We can also look at three letter body parts and say, what are the three parts of a letter? Salutation, greeting, and body. We can also put words like gill, G-I-L-L, -L, that combine now the elements of multiple letters repeated and uh, non-human. And so we can strip away uh, constraint over and over and over. And what we find in a big way is that we look at things in place constraint. If I ask a known riddle, how many months have 28 days? Everyone quickly goes, or most people, all of them. So all body parts have three letters. If I had you do re redo this exercise, which we will often do with groups, performance goes from eight words to 180 at the very best. And when we do that, our score goes from seven or eight, nine in the first round to something lower typically because of that constraint. So I want to remind us that as we move and tell stories that we often do it with constraint in mind. And if we go back to this bull's lens, it's a framework for us to go, what is remarkable? How do I remove constraint? How do I think about being powerful and passionate and tell the story in a better way? So this bull's lens starts with the premise that we're 
all bulls. That for me, that's not a gender neutral term. Instead, it's one that demonstrates we can be powerful and passionate. That we can come at the world in a way that says I'm celebrating life and I'm doing things remarkable. Now, unfortunately, not all of us come at the world that way. Um, when I look at this lens again, and it's, it divides the world, people, organizations, ideas into thirds. And the first is those people or ideas that are um, what I call in the ring bulls. When we see this bull, we see a bull that is angry and disgruntled. It is negatively engaged in a very high way. It is very focused, but negatively. We know people in our lives that are like that, that are hurt, bloodied, angry, or disgruntled. You also see organizations that are that. You see uh, ideas that fall into that category. And so this is the first part of that bull's lens in the ring. We also can look at things right now in terms of uncertainty and look at, and there's much in the literature that says this time of uncertainty looks a lot like the seven stages of grief. Denial and anger are the first two areas. So we fall in this kind of potential, all of us, for moments, and it's how quickly we can rebound and get out of the ring. The second group of bulls, or the second part of that lens, is those bulls that are led by the ring. To get this bull to do anything, we have to put a hook in it, we have to pull it toward water, to food, guidance, um, and for me, these people, ideas, and organizations are helpless and hapless. When we look at the typical response for uncertainty, many of us will go there for a minute. We'll go to despair or despondency, and we need to look and go, how do we get out of that? How do we press and do find a pivot? Um, a remarkable part of that story is I have an organization that I'm working with right now. They make snorkel masks. Easy for that organization to go, I'm going to fall into this lead by the ring. I'm going to wait. I'm going to be helpless and hapless. And instead, he's done everything in his power to say, well, how can I use this device as PPE? How can I get it included and in, involved in uh, respirator uh, research? How do I give it to healthcare workers so they can wear it? And his sales have increased. He's also going, how do I create virtual snorkel trips for people? So there's a bunch of ways in which we can embrace and get out of that, but that's the second area. The third are what are these remarkable, powerful, what I call ringing the bell. So we, we're left with this option of a bull's lens, which is we can be um, bitter, angry, we can be helpless or hapless, or we can be powerful and passionate. And I'm going to use that around our story and our herd as how do we move in these times of uncertainty right on the curve create this powerful magnet that brings the right people toward us. So as we transition out of a bull's lens and move to our story, I shared a story of the whale ship Essex. Mine is um, three-time CEO, bull in the China shop, uh, naval officer. Much of my career was just pushing ahead. And I realized um, at times effective leadership and at other times didn't have followers. And so subtly over time have become how do I harness that power and help bulls thrive in China shops, that there's still this danger around us, but we can thrive. I don't need to be reckless, um, negatively engaged and do that. And there's still times where my wife says I'm still a bull in a China shop, but um, that's how we can start to think about our story. In these times of uncertainty, this is my all-time favorite quote around leadership, um, only three things happen naturally in organizations, friction, confusion, and underperformance. Everything else requires leadership from Peter Drucker. And so if we think about what's happening in our organizations today, we're caught with, in many organizations, there is confusion and underperformance right now based on market condition, uncertainty. And the path out is this um, lens around, um, uh, uh, can we move toward this ringing the bell, powerful, passionate story. And that powerful and passionate story using that bull's lens starts to fuel a very powerful magnet. And the more we tell this story, the more people are drawn to us. In Good to Great, Collins talked about right people on the bus in the right seats. I think about this magnet as the marquee in the front of our bus. If my bus is going to San Francisco, who wants, who do I want to get on my bus? People that are dying to go to San Francisco. 
If they want to go to New York, it's the wrong bus. And that the more succinctly I can tell that story about where we're going is the most important part of the story. So vision is the first part of the story that we focus on. And it is the key component of fueling this magnet that brings the right bulls toward us and repels the wrong. The other we'll talk about are core values, expectation, and engagement. So as we move into vision, again, it's the marquee on the front of the bus, where are we going? Many organizations will have what I call words on the wall for vision statement that look like this. It's a bunch of words. We look at it, it's unremarkable and typically just sits on the wall. In this case, it sat on the wall of Dunder Mifflin in the office. This was their actual mission vision statement that sat on the wall and was never talked about. Never talked about in the show, you can see it in episodes. And it serves as a reminder that our vision of future needs to be remarkable. If we look at organizations, and one of one that I, I use as an example all the time is I have a, a company in my CEO peer advisory group that makes metal parts. And the owner talks about it as, you know, well, what do you do? Well, we make dumb metal parts. I cringe when I hear it. I've gone through his plant and they make um, CNC, Acme turn machines, all kinds of metal parts, primarily in automotive and large vehicle manufacturing. One time I was walking through, they were making a metal coupling uh, for a hydraulic hose for a Cummins dump truck. And I was caught with, they should be talking about, they make the parts that make America move. That's their vision of future. They make the parts that make America move. And when I look at that little part, I inspire the people that are making that and talk about it in that way and give them a schematic of the part. And when I talk then later about expectations, I'm like, the key component of this part that makes this dump truck lift gate open is inside and outside diameter. I mean, I need you to make sure that when this comes off that machinery, that the inside and outside diameter are correct so that we can make this part make America move. And so again, it, it frames are people right for us and are they in the organization for the right reasons? Great example of that is Southwest Airlines. This is their little love uh, logo. They talk about the reason they exist and they have a short little video, Southwest Airlines, why we exist. And they talk about it is to connect people with what's most important in their lives through friendly, reliable air travel. So that's the reason they exist. You could say mission. Uh, I don't get hung up on mission or vision. They also have a vision statement and their vision statement is to be the world's most loved, most flown, most profitable airline. And they've been doing that since their inception. So just a brilliant kind of use of here's where we're going. So again, with that bull's lens in a remarkable way, you tell a story, first chapter, where are we going? And if your organization has that in these times of uncertainty, that serves as this kind of compelling polar force that says we're going north. We're going toward making parts that make America move, and we need to continue to do that. Um, and if it requires a pivot in these uncertain times, you certainly can, but it sets the first tenant of a remarkable story, where are we going? And it fuels the magnet of who should be on our team. Second is core values. Many organizations have core values, second chapter of that powerful story. Um, core values should describe how you want people to act and behave. And it should be most of the people in your organization act and behave that way. I joke and say it shouldn't be Sesame Street. One of us is not like the other, uh, the others. And when we hire, we should talk about our core values. We should describe them. Most organizations have core values and define them. I talk about them in a slightly different way. I go, again, are they bitter, angry? Are they helpless or hapless? Or are they ringing the bell? And the way I frame that is they shouldn't be table stakes. They could be anyone else's core values. We're going to work hard. We're honest. We're whatever. And you see that in a lot of companies' core values. And instead, um, a little aspirational, but not not existing in your organization. So they tend to be things like when I help organizations, we are all willing to sweep floors. So when you see this, you can invoke and see a story around it and you can talk about it. You can say, we all are willing to do whatever it takes here for us to succeed. 
in uncertain times, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that we survive and get through this. And we're all going to pitch in. At hiring, I can sit with a new employee and go, this is one of our core values. What it means is when we assign work, we don't like eye rolls. There's nothing beneath any of us. So if we ask you to actually sweep the floor or clean the bathroom or do something and you feel it's demeaning and you roll your eyes, you're not going to fit in here. And so we can start to frame the way we want everyone in our organization to act and behave. So it names in a remarkable way behavior that already exists for your very best people. I talk about it, clonable behavior. So you could go through your organization, you could list the people that are the very best in your organization, how they act and behave, and then name it according to your organization. One of those is willing to sweep floors. Another is we all kill our own spiders. This is from a, an organization that does truck bed lining and window tinting. He frames it as, I want people, when it's their problem, to take care of it. If it's a spider in your office, you kill it. And so it's edgy for them. It feels right for them. It's something that he talks about all the time. And it becomes one of our core values in a remarkable way. Southwest Airlines has a great set that I'll blow up so you can see them. And they just have three. I think three to five core values is awesome. It says warrior spirit. You can define that. You can talk about it. They talk about it as we're willing to work hard, desire to be the best, a sense of urgency, a servant's heart, that we follow the golden rule, we treat others with respect, we put others first, and that we're fun-loving and willing to have fun. So you can start to describe the way you want people to act and behave in a remarkable way, and it serves as your litmus test. I was with an organization that runs a um, large chain of preschools the day they were having to shut down um, some of their centers based on the COVID spread. And they did it in a remarkable way. They talked about our core values say that we care deeply about everyone in our value chain. So we need to demonstrate how we're doing that in this announcement. And it was just fantastic to see. So our core values say, how do we act and behave most of the time? And you know, we'll all have failings and not do it, but it describes how we act and behave most of the time. And um, it should be used in hiring, how we inspire, and if we need to, fire. So our core values are this litmus test of when you come and join us, you should act and behave this way. While, you hear it while you're here working for us, it should inspire our code of behavior and how we act. And it should also serve as, we've had this conversation, Tom, four times about your willingness to sweep floors. We're going to ask you to leave. So it's not something that we go about lightly, but if we can't get adherence to our core values, they are how we demand everyone acts and behaves. So I'll pause for a minute. Any questions on vision or values? If you guys see questions, just let me know. I'm going to press on. That's good. Great. Um, this is the bull's lens again of core values. I won't belabor it. Um, we then move to expectations, third chapter in your story. So we have a compelling vision, where we're going, core values, how we want everyone to act and behave. They both serve as a litmus test and a magnet to bring the right people toward us, even in uncertain times. The third is this high expectations. How do we set meaningful high expectations? Most of us understand that with a sports team analogy that I'll use. Um, and we look at this in a, again, bull's lens metaphor. In sports, we can look to organizations like the New England Patriots or the Cleveland Browns. How do you start the season? How do you think about the upcoming events that are coming toward us? And do we set really high expectations or do we set mediocre? And again, you can think about that bull's lens and say, we're setting remarkable ones, we're setting mediocre ones, or we're setting ones in which somebody in our organization wins and somebody loses, that's an in-the-ring expectation setting. We want everyone to win. We want them to be remarkable. We want everyone to understand where we're going. So the Cleveland Browns, the last 10 years, look and say at the beginning of the season, we hope we win a game. We hope we make the playoffs. The New England Patriots are going, if we lose the Super Bowl, the season was a failure. So their expectations and everything they do are set much higher for the New England Patriots. Um, and so sports is an easy way to point to it. Another example that I love is a school, it's called Chicago Urban Prep on the south side of Chicago. All black male public charter school designed because on the south side of Chicago, the graduation rate when they started the school was 21% for black males. 
They wanted to change that. They said, we want to have an expectation that everyone that comes to our school goes to college. They wear uniforms. They um, have a creed that they read every day. And this creed is fantastic. It's part vision, part core values, and it really sets the expectation. So it's all encompassing. It starts with the urban prep creed. We believe we are the young men of urban prep. We are college bound. So third line, it sets the expectation that anyone that goes to urban prep, they say this every day of every school year, that they are college bound. What you find is they're clearly driven to go to college. So it sets a firm expectation. It also says how we act and behave. We make no excuses. We choose to live honestly, honestly, nonviolently, and honorably. And what's happened for them the last nine years is 100% college acceptance. So they have found a way to set a really high expectation, fuel the magnet. If you are a black male on the south side of Chicago, or even more importantly, a parent of a black male, where do you want your son to go? You want him to go to Chicago Urban Prep where 100% for the last nine years have gone to college. Now, that also frames for me is they will get their unfair share of talent. I look at organizations and go, that's your goal. How do you also get your unfair share of talent? And you get it by creating this vision of future, really robust core values, high expectations. And when we set those high expectations for our organization, what's interesting is that um, we get those expectations starting even before you start. U.S. Naval Academy, my alma mater, 19,000 people apply every year, 1,000 get in. So I use this as from an expectation standing that all of those expectations start before people even join us in our hiring process, how we look at that, how we bring them on board, how rigorous we are in performance and what we're asking of people. And that um, those expectations start when we hire. We have to meet bulls and go, are this, is this bull right for our organization? Are they remarkable? Do they want to graduate from high school and go to college if you're going to Chicago Urban Prep? So set remarkable uh, expectations. Find a way to set the bar high even before people start in your organization is how we look at those expectations. Fourth chapter of the book uh, and your story is engagement and engagement just centers around how we meet people on those other uh, things. Um, I frame here, this is just a little comic that says, what if, I know it sounds kooky, we communicated with the employees. Engagement is about communication, telling your story, reinforcing vision and values and your expectations over and over and over. If we look back at that Drucker quote, friction, confusion, and underperformance, all of those go away if you communicate your vision of future, how you want people to act and behave, and how we set expectations. So it's a firm kind of way in which we engage with our team. We need to do it meaningful ways around those first three tenets. One way that I talk about U.S. Naval Academy, every day, every meal, 4,000 people eat together. Organizations should find way. That's harder now in our uh, COVID times, but we can still even do that virtually. We can order out, all eat the same time together. We can have virtual happy hour. We can eat depending on the spirit of your company. We can find ways to engage in meaningful ways. And that um, we also need to meet with every bull. In these uncertain times, I'm pushing people to do it virtually one-to-one, -one, connect as human first, socially uh, engage each other and give each other energy, and then set the expectation of what we need to happen moving forward. So this bull's lens holds true for those four pieces that fuel the magnet. They allow you to tell this story in a compelling way. And the story is, where are we going? How do we want people to act and behave? What do we expect of them? And then how does this happen from an engagement kind of cadence inside the organization? The last okay. area. Um, we have a question. I know you asked us yeah. to let you know if we had a question yeah. here. A lot of what you've mentioned has been around a cultural mindset. Do you find most organizations or managers measure team members more on skills? And if so, how do you change that? Do you so, find, yeah, go ahead. So I'll use a metaphor response. Um, I absolutely want to measure skill when we look at uh, how we hire and move, but I also want them to be right for the clubhouse. So, um, 
there is, and the clubhouse could be a baseball metaphor. It could be, it's our little fort when we're kids that they're right for us. And they're right for us when they want the same vision of future that we want, when they act and behave the way we want, and they're willing to meet our expectations. So they need to be all of those things, but they also need to be able to play a position on the field. They need to be, what I, the way I frame it metaphorically in teams is, could you find a better first baseman? And if you could find a better first baseman that meets the three conditions of vision, values, and expectation and has better skills, then you could find a better first baseman. If you look and say, hey, um, I know I couldn't, and they're still wrong culturally, I'm still going to want to move them out. That same baseball metaphor, I also, you have to look realistically at where your organization is in its maturity. If we think about T-ball, um, the expectations of the first baseman might be, does he or she know where first base is? So as we start in T-ball, there's not a very high threshold of playing first base. As we get to little league baseball and you, your organization starts to mature, our first baseman needs to catch, excuse me, catch everything that's near here. When we move up high school and pro, the expectation of our first baseman is they dig everything out of the dirt, they save us 20 errors a season, and that their skill level is very high, but they also are robustly able to meet the conditions of they're on board and want to do what we want to do. They are very uh, willing to behave the way we do from a core value standpoint. They're great in the clubhouse, and they meet our expectations. So um, the answer is, uh, in a short, is both. They need to have both skill and cultural fit in my, uh, my view. Hopefully that answers it. And if not, uh, send us another question. So from a herd perspective, I want people that are remarkable, that are driving people, that are, want to be part of our team. And the easiest way to do this, and I'll just put this little cartoon drawing up, is this boat is your organization. It's your team. We all are loaded in the boat, and we have these motley 10 bulls in our uh, boat. And this follows, this um, three types of bulls follows the Gallup poll. So if we look at Gallup poll, they say 30% of most organizations, and Gallup's done this for the last 20 years, are engaged. I frame it as on Sunday afternoon or excited about going to work tomorrow. They are powerful, passionate, rowing hard. In our rowboat, they're cheering each other on. They're cheery. They're wearing bells here. They're excited to be on the team, and they love doing what they do. They cheer the rest of the team on. 50% of the U.S. workforces are um, led by the ring bulls. They have nose rings in. We need to get them and inspire them to do work. If this is our rowboat, they occasionally dip oars in the water. When we walk by, they row a little bit and act like they're working. Um, they are uninspired, and we need to get those five out of ten bulls more inspired in our herd, and it's by making sure that they are on board with our vision and values, and that we're setting really high expectations and holding them accountable to that. We then have the dreaded 20% in the ring bulls that are poking holes in our rowboat, rowing backwards, cussing, saying, why do we need to be out here on a sunny day rowing in the boat? We all understand those people, and that's what we're left with as a team, and we need to manage through that. It comes again from how we hire, inspire, and fire. We need to make sure that we're hiring as effectively as we can. I have a slide that will talk about that, that we're inspiring by telling our vision, reinforcing our values and setting really high expectations, and that we need to be willing to fire or let people go when they can't meet those conditions of both culture and skill, that we know we can find a better first baseman. So from a high level perspective, when we start to bring bulls into our herd, we hire uh, ineffectively, that, that we know we do this. And the reason is most organizations fall on this left-hand column. That the typical post-a-job, resume screen, phone interview, face-to-face, -face, if they assess, they assess late in the process and they extend an offer. And most often, it's gut feel. Best practice, when we talk about skill, is that we do a bunch of things in best practice, which is a written job description, we screen applicants with an assessment tool before we even touch them. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that. We do rigorous behavioral interviewing, which is from top grading is my recommendation, threat of reference check, which we could spend more time on, and that we have skill and cognitive assessments later in the process. We actually watch them do the task. So if we have a print job in a print 
uh, shop that we're hiring for. We bring them in for four hours. We pay them as a 1099 employee. We train them for an hour on how to do it. We watch them do it for two hours and we give them a written exam. Over time, we score that skill and say, what threshold in that four hour temporary work environment do people need to meet for them to be quality employees? So we set a, a best practice framework to hire more effectively. And if you do that, your hiring success goes way up and we move from kind of the helpless hapless. This is an example of uh, assessment tool data, which I'm happy to give to anyone on the call today or anyone who listens to the replay. They can go through and assess their entire team and understand where these traits lie for the individual along a bell curve. And we split the world into 19 different profiles. We can very distinctly, and I'll blow this up, predictively tell that this person is a great machine operator and this person is a great salesperson and they are opposites. These people can lead our organization and predictively understand who we should talk to before we interview for any role. And so there's a ton of tools out there that should be included in your best practice from a hiring standpoint. I'll give you access to one for free for 30 days after this talk if you want to see it. Um, but it very accurately helps us find ringing the bell bulls and that we want people through both our interview skill assessment that we are confident that they fit us from they want to do the work we do, they're going to act and behave the way we want, they're going to meet our expectation, and they're going to be right for us in our team. So, on a high-level perspective, we've talked about how do you harness the power of your herd? How do we get the right bulls into our herd? We set this really compelling magnet by telling a story in a remarkable way over and over and over again. The marquee on the front of your bus says, this is what we're about. People that want to do that should come to your organization. The more effectively you do it, the more effectively and stronger that magnet will come. So Simon Sinek talks about culture, and I think this is a great way to kind of sum it up before we go here. He talks about culture as it's like going to the gym. We go day one, it hurts. We look in the mirror, nothing's changed. Day two, we go to the gym. Often it hurts worse and nothing's changed. Six months later of repeatedly going, repetitively going to the gym, it doesn't hurt anymore. And we look in the mirror and things have changed. That's culture. You have to fuel this magnet by telling the story of where we're going, how we want people to act and behave, and what the expectation is for everything we do over and over again. And when you do it, that becomes easier and it becomes a more compelling magnet. Your team's stronger and you have the herd you deserve. From a high level perspective, individually, I can't leave people without um, that bull's lens that there are three types of bulls in the world. And I firmly believe we can choose every day how we come at the world. We can choose to be that bull that's in the ring here. We can choose to be helpless and hapless, or we can choose to be powerful and passionate. We can choose to ring the bell. We can find ways to do remarkable things every day for our organization, for our family, for our friends. And that's kind of the framework that I wanted to share with you today. I'll pause and say, what do you think? Questions, we can open it up. We can uh, unmute and have live questions or take them uh, via text, whatever's easier. Dave, thanks very much. Um, question you had mentioned, and we get this a lot, the difference between your vision and your mission. And you said, you know, you don't necessarily uh, mince words there, but I could hear a little bit different in when you talked about your core, core culture, we sweep floors, no eye rollers. I love that one. Um, I'm using that in my family. So in, a, in a broad way, um, mission and vision, I have organizations that only have a mission statement. I have organizations that only have a vision, a vision statement. I have others that have both. Um, in helping organizations go through that, I, I, I try to frame what's more, most important, which is why do we exist or where are we going? And if one of those is most important, I go, then let's just go with that. If they go, well, we want to define both, we define both. So mission typically is why do we exist? Why do we exist here on earth? If you go to Simon Sinek's golden circle of why, 
it's mm -hmm. that, that we exist here on the planet to do that. That's your mission. Vision is a future, and the way I always frame it, do we want to describe the people in vivid detail, so much so that when we read it, talk about it, we can feel it. And the way I have a whole exercise that we go through that talks about five years from now, when you walk into the building, how does it feel? What do you see? What's the language? How are our employees talking about us? How is the press talking about us? And that's vision of future. And it should define something that says we make the parts that make America move mm -hmm. and that people understand that and they're compelled to that. Um, we, we have others. My, my organization is we're committed to helping bulls thrive, which doesn't sound like much. And then I, we define that bulls are people who run companies. Thriving is that they have stronger personal and professional relationships and they are performing better than they ever have. So for us, we frame and measure our success by the number of times people we're engaged with. They say, that's the best year I've ever had. That's our measuring stick. So again, it frames for us an expectation, how we act and behave. Our core values are um, noble powerful, passionate, know more, and help people achieve. We also then talk about ringing the bell every day. Powerful, passionate, remarkable. So mission and vision, depending on the organization, can be one, can be both. Um, I have organizations that are defined, and my real litmus test is that it's polarizing. U.S. Naval Academy mission to prepare midshipmen mentally, morally, and physically to be professional naval officers. That both compels and repels. For me as an 18-year-old young man, completely compelling. Morally, mentally, and physically was awesome. Professional naval officer. My dad was an Air Force officer. I love that. But as you can imagine, there's an even larger group of 18 or 19-year-old women who are repelled by that. I don't want mentally, morally, physically, and I don't want to be a naval officer. So um, both our mission and vision should do that. They should be that marquee on the front of the bus that says, man, I want to get on that bus or that's not the right bus for me. Um, and at least in my view, that's okay. That we want to define and have that bus marquee on the front of our bus. Right. I think we had a question come in over our, um, over our, sorry, uh, our, why can't I think of it? Our collaborate form. I'm just going to grab that real quick. See if any other questions pop up. And while I do that, I'll put this up and just talk about how I'm happy to help. So we, we love helping organizations. You'll find that one of the mantras we have is that we give freely until we shouldn't. Um, so if you want access to Culture Index, Culture Index is a personality assessment tool. Helps you define the bulls in your herd, understand how they perform, how they can perform better. You get a five-page written report. Like I will happily walk you through, set up a demo, assess everyone in your whole team. For those of you that have sales teams, we have that same service for sales teams where we assess your sales team based on those pro, uh, personality traits and we'll do interviews. And then freely give 30 minute what I call no bull sessions around vision and values. How do we set those for your organization? Hiring and coaching or engagement. How do you drive meaningful engagement? Um, I've just launched a, a new exercise uh, with an, uh, our new session, which is two hours with a, an improv comedian in which we dive deep into people's personality traits and how they respond in these uncertain times. And we go back and forth, breakout session in Zoom. It's a fun two hours and everyone walks away with their culture index report. I've also have a uh, landing page on my website, helpingbulls.com uh, forward slash dscoop. Bunch of free tools, downloadable stuff there. And uh, if you want to take a picture, here's all the ways to contact me. My email, my Calendly link to find time. Happy for you to text or call me on my cell phone. Um, and those are the ways in which we can, can connect. And if I can help in any way, I'm more than happy to. Any other questions that have come up, Ginger? Uh, I think uh, I'm looking, at, I'm trying to find that one form uh, in forum, but um, I wanted to thank you for your generosity and your time and these resources that will also be our, uh, our webinar will be recorded or is recorded and will be posted on dscoop.com and we'll alert you, uh, all the panelists and attendees and registrants when that's up there. And these links will be part of that. So you can reach out to Dave, you can schedule some time on his calendar and that will allow us to promote that and continue to connect if you have questions after 
today's webinar if you're listening to the recording. And again, if you do listen to it uh, on the replay and you have questions, feel free to reach out to me. More than happy to answer those. Yeah, and we will. We'll forward those to you. One question that I thought I had seen before the webinar started had to do with the difference between a community like DScoop or a users group and a business organization. So if you're trying to attract the right people and, and listening to your words, say them over and over again, make sure that uh, you know, you, um, where you, people know where you're going, how you expect people to behave. How does that work in a users group when you're not actually hiring them? Yeah, so um, I think the same, Ginger. I, I would push you to think about um, that they're not ours. They don't um, work for us, but they belong to our herd. And for our herd, where is our herd going? Why does it exist? What does it mean? And why, do I, why am I compelled to be part of it? So for you, that's value proposition. What does the community bring? What are the resources that we get as being part of this? That creates the vision. And even... Here's what it allows our members to do. So it creates in their mind, here's vision of future that DScoop will help me achieve. The core value piece is I would say, here's how we at DScoop act and behave all the time, that we give freely, that we have these educational seminars, that we meet our members in as many ways as possible to help them move and thrive, that you set high expectations, that you drive people to move and grow as part of their DScoop membership, that you're not good enough, um, that, that um, it's not good enough that they're just members if they're not participating. So I'd use a metaphor that if they have a gym membership but they never come to the gym, we're failing. We right. need them to be actively participating in the value that DScoop brings. And then, you know, how do you engage is all the stuff around that. So um, I've done a lot with nonprofits, with other associations, um, even a couple church groups. Um, I'm not a necessarily religious person, but um, churches have the same challenge. Why should we be compelled to come to this church versus others? How do we act and behave here? What are the expectations? And then what does engagement in our church community look like? So I think it fits any organization, whether they are employed um, we do a lot of this work for a family. I have uh, a wife, uh, now just one of my four sons living with us, but I've had four boys and three unruly dogs. So our dogs don't participate, but um, the other three of us do around where are we going? How do we act and behave? What's important to us? Um, and we try to, with intent, say these are the things that matter for our family. Oh, that's great. That's great. So we have uh, the questions up here. Uh, I just want to ask if if uh, Dave's recent answer uh, was uh, answered what you all were asking about the difference uh, for mission and core values when it comes to bringing the right people to you as a community. So if that didn't answer your question, type it in here again, but we have about two minutes left before we're going to sign off and uh, we'll all move on to our next Zoominar, webinar, virtual work. All right. I think that must have answered it. Thank you all for attending, Dave. Thanks so much for you for to you for preparing and for offering your wisdom and sharing your insights with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you next time.